Now, I'd like you to turn to the book of Jude. The words will come up on the screen. My title today is Pay Attention to Prophecy. Today, there are many prophetic revelations being passed around, some good, some not so good. In fact, recent prophetic utterances have produced a little bit of confusion. And so today, as it's arisen in our text on the series in Jude, and because it's so relevant to where we're at, I want to spend a little bit of time on how to pay attention to prophecy, how to know the difference between true and false prophecy. So let's have a look at Jude, verses 17 to 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But as I suggested, there are many prophetic utterances going out today and in recent times, and we believe in prophecy, prophecy in the New Testament and prophecy for today. But some prophecies have been suspect, to say the least. I don't know if you remember a year or so ago when COVID was hitting us, many prophets stood up and said, this is going to pass very quickly. Well, it hasn't. And then more recently, and probably even more painfully, many prophets across the world, including United States of America, prophesied that Donald Trump would have a second term in the presidency. Well, it never happened. Uh, where does that leave us? Also, somewhat in the same area, the vaccine has been kind of prophesied about or at least people taking the high position of moral and spiritual authority have assured us that the vaccine carries the mark of the beast, which is factually untrue and also really questionable in terms of biblical interpretation. But nevertheless, that's been happening. Now, a few have publicly admitted that they were wrong, but many have not. So how can we tell the difference from true and false? And, and all, almost as important, how do you act on the prophecy once it has been tested? Just for a moment or two, cast your mind back as I did. I've got a head start because I did it while I was preparing the message. To think of prophetic words, genuine prophetic words that were tested and we received. And where are they? They're in a folder somewhere. I've got, a, I've got on my computer a list of prophecies going back, and I do go back over them and um, pray them through. But sometimes we can just be caught up in the moment, be impressed by a prophecy which we believe is genuine, and then forget about it. How much have we lost because we have not taken this form of God's communication with us seriously enough to pray it through, to wait on the Lord, and to remember the prophecy. The Apostle Paul put it like this. 
He said, don't quench the spirit. That's something that I know is very dear to my heart. Peter Gammons, in case you didn't pick it up earlier, a friend of mine is here. Uh, An evangelist, tremendous anointing on his life. And I get so excited when I'm around people like that. Don't quench the spirit. When the spirit manifests, it's glorious. Told a story of people being healed who had uh, problems, um, who were uh, unable to walk, walking, unable to see, seeing. There is nothing more important that you can do than to receive a genuine prompting, a genuine word from the Spirit, a genuine leading of the Holy Spirit, and you act on it in faith. But Paul goes on to say, don't quench the Spirit and do not despise prophesying. Now, I am not pointing the finger at people who got it wrong and saying, what a bunch of false prophets. And I, but I feel it important to, to bring publicly the fact that people get it wrong in order for us not to end up despising prophecy and saying it's all spurious. Some is, but not all. There is a genuine gift. And Paul goes on to say, don't quench the spirit, right? But don't despise prophesying, but test all things. Doesn't end there. He says, hold on to the good. Pay attention to prophecy. Now, just how important prophecy can be is in our first verse here, verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as this is an expository series, a few more messages to come before we finish the book of Jude. Some of you will remember, we've been following the series, that Jude uh, has given a lot of intention to pointing out negative examples that we should not follow. There were a group of people that got into the church somehow, the congregations of Jude's day. They weren't even believers. And they were receiving all kinds of dreams upon which they based their doctrine, false doctrine based on false dreams. And it's almost as if Judas has this in mind. He says, don't pay attention to those things, but there is a genuine that you must remember. You must know what it is to pay attention to genuine prophecy. And so he says, don't forget. Rather, he puts it in the positive, remember the predictions of the apostles. They said to you, they prophesied this to you. They said, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Scoffers, mockers, people who had no time for the truth of Scripture, for the truth of who Jesus is, for his lordship, his claim over our lives, and the way the Holy Spirit wants to guide us through life uh, and help us overcome, all of us overcome, those ungodly passions that still remain with us, unfortunately, it's called the flesh. So he's saying, what is happening to you shouldn't be a surprise. The apostles predicted it. They told you about it. 
And so when he says remember, he really means pay attention to. Um, I feel secure about sharing, sharing this uh, a little weakness because I've taken care of it. Now, some time ago, last year sometime, I received through the post something that I was supposed to act on. It wasn't serious, but it was important. And because it wasn't urgent, I didn't do it until months later. I've done it now, which is why I can tell the story. But the point is, is that I remembered it. I think every day, I put this package next to me, every day I remembered it but did nothing until finally I did something um, and acted on it, which, which was good. It's good. I'm sure you've all got things that you remember every day. I, I mustn't forget that. I mustn't forget that. And you don't forget it, but you do forget it. You don't forget that you have to do it, but you forget to do it. And I think it's so easy for us to have this form of spiritual amnesia in our lives as Christians. Many, many things that are on our to-do list, spiritual to-do list, as well as the other stuff. So he says, I want you to remember. And so remember the prophetic and act upon the prophetic. Now, just a little bit about this kind of prophecy that Jude was talking about. We know that the true prophecy of God is Scripture. The Scripture is called a sure word of prophecy. And the scriptural revelation is quite different from any kind of prophecy we can enjoy today because it is full, it is complete, it is authoritative, it's infallible. And the Scripture then becomes a test by which, the, the, the standard by which we test everything, all prophecy. Now, when Jude was speaking and writing, he was actually writing scripture. We have it. And so he was speaking with authority, with full authority from God. He had credentials to do it. He was the brother of James, who is the brother of Jesus. He introduces himself as the brother of James. I don't suppose he wanted to pull spiritual rank and say, by the way, this is the brother of the Lord Jesus speaking. Remember that. But he does set out his credentials, his high credentials for speaking with authority. He also goes and quotes Old Testament scriptures, which are in themselves predictions, biblical predictions for the last days. And if you go through the series, you see how he uses the Old Testament, which was the scripture available to him. He used the Jewish scriptures. He used the Hebrew Bible very, and he knew it as well as strong Jewish traditions, which he, some of which he considered to be authentic. And so this man is using all that's available to him, but he also reminds them of another way that God had spoken in their day. This was the living apostolic word. Now, what these apostles had predicted is later on, Found in Scripture, Paul says, you know, when I go, savage wolves will come in, even from your own number. And uh, John says, you know what, many antichrists have come and they are here. So these kind of things later were put into Scripture. But in my understanding was that these were living apostles who brought a prophetic message to a, a group of churches, a group of Christians. Now, because they were apostles, they were functioning at a level on the equivalent of Scripture that had not yet been written and completed. But 
now it has been completed. We don't go to any person and expect them to speak with infallible authority, and we certainly don't expect them to say things that we can add to our Bible. There is no second, third, and fifth edition in which the author adds more and more material. This book, the glory of it, is that it is full, infallible, complete, and gives us a complete record of everything we need for life and godliness. It's the sure word of God. Now, some would quickly go on to say, therefore, we don't need prophecy today. Well, I, I don't agree with that. We can find, even in New Testament times, another form of prophecy which was subject to apostolic authority and needed to be judged and tested by apostolic authority. And that form of the prophetic gift continues right up until today. So prophecy is a thing, but it is not absolute in the sense that scriptures are absolute. And so the other point we need to raise quickly is that if we have the Bible, why do we need prophets anyway? Good point. There's more to be said, but that's a good point. You see, in Old Testament times, the prophets, they had the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and, and they were particularly gifted with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was not generally available, not poured out upon every member of the Old Covenant in the same way that the Holy Spirit is the gift of God for every member of the New Covenant, and we can all be filled with the Spirit. We all have received an unction, an anointing from the Holy One, and we don't need anybody to teach us because the Spirit is the one who teaches us. In other words, we get our revelation from God. We, of course, thank God for Bible teachers and those who are used by God to show us things, and the Holy Spirit will give us delightful illumination on Scripture, delightful revelations, and at times, personal words which are vital, vital for our spiritual lives. And so we certainly don't need prophets today to be our Christian equivalent of fortune tellers. I don't know if you've ever seen those fortune tellers. I think a lot of it can be just sort of very superficial and, and quite innocuous. However, you do need to know that there are spirits out there, spirits of divination, which invade our space and try to bring false revelation from the spirit world, not from the Holy Spirit. And so the idea is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a bit down. Uh, I don't know when's COVID going to end. Let me knock on the door of a prophet and ask. You're likely to get a false word when you try to bring uh, this kind of stuff, and God hasn't really spoken in the first instance. Prophets are not fortune tellers. However, the gift of prophecy is very useful. If we describe some of it, uh, the standard gift of prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. In other words, it's believers encouraging one another through a word that has come from the Holy Spirit for that occasion. Even those things must be tested. However, there are other higher levels of this gift. Prediction, for example. If somebody says to you, gives you a predictive prophecy, realize that they are claiming a higher spiritual manifestation than regular day-to-day 
prophetic ministry amongst the body of Christ. It happens, it can happen, but they're functioning at another level. So we have to be wary of that. And also those who will give you a directive word, something that you've not heard about before, a directive word. And don't, you don't just hear, well, the prophet said it, so I better do it. No, no, no. You wait. You wait on the Holy Spirit. You, you discern it. You share it around. And things can be tested. And I find that all of the mistakes that prophets make, well, I don't know, that's an exaggeration, but many mistakes prophet make, is they receive something from God. That is not in any doubt. But then somehow they interpret it in a way which is much more to do with their human personality. And that's why it's important for us to sift through things all the way through. I remember once in Brazil, I'd had an extraordinary experience. Um, I'm not so sure I've had anything like it since. Way back in the day, as I was preparing to go to Brazil, it was one of the early visits to Brazil. And about 10 days before I went, I received what appeared to be a whole range of prophetic words. Many of these were names of people, conditions, situations. Sometimes it was accompanied by a visual impression, a vision, and I could recognize their faces. And there was one occasion when I would, having written this stuff down, I said, you know, I think this person is relevant today, but I don't know what this person's name was. And the form that had been given to me was in a kind of riddle. God does speak sometimes in riddles. It's a kind of riddle. This was a woman. I could see her. Um, I didn't know what her name was, but her name was somehow linked to Paternoster. Strange. Anybody know what Paternoster is? That's Latin for our father. So this was like Paternoster, but I wonder if anybody can come up with the name when I give you the clues. But it was a woman. Paternoster. Our father, but it's a woman. Anyway, uh, I was puzzling over this, and a wise member of the team said, well, what did God show you? Go back to what he actually showed you. And I described this, and he said, I know the name. I said, how do you know the name from that? So he said, well, look, in, in Brazil, uh, Mary is a very popular name, being a Catholic country. And um, so they use a form of, which is uh, uh, Nossa, our, our lady, meaning Mary. And so he said, her name is Mary. In other words, there was a clue in that, and that, that the secret of what that meant was unlocked at exactly the right time. I, I must hesitate to, to tell you too much of the story for the sake of time, but I was so charged with this, and, and I was sitting on the high platform as only the assemblies of God, assembly Judeus, how they stand there and sit on this high platform, and I'm, I'm sitting through these long meetings, feeling ever so uncomfortable, you know, you know needing to go to the toilet. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, but these are facts. And I'm sitting there. And then I see the woman walking down the aisle. And, and they, they, they led her away. 
So I got off the platform and followed her. She had gone to visit the doctor in the sanatorium that they had. 10,000 leaders were, were, were present. And I got an interpreter. I recognized her straight away. And on, on her label, was uh, name, label, name tag, was written Mary. So I knew it was the woman. I recognized her. And then I was released to give what God had shown me 10 days before. Remarkable. And uh, the last part of it was, and God relieves you from your suffering. And she was healed on the spot. And she had come to the convention with feeling very unwell. And 10 days before, she had gone to her pastor and said, I don't think I can make it. I'm feeling so unwell. Uh, and, And the pastor prophesied and said, God wants you to go because you're going to be healed there. Now, she'd stuck it out as much as she could, and she was just now on her last legs. I don't mean she wasn't about to die, but she was so unwell. So she's going to the doctor, and she's going to go home. And I come in. Before even the doctor speaks, the doctor was spiritual. I said, excuse me, um, before you treat her, I have a word from the Lord. And so they said, go ahead. And she was touched, and she was blessed, and she was healed. So yeah, predictive prophecy works. Directive prophecy works so long as it's a real word from the Lord. The example I often use of this, and you must stop me from telling too many stories because my time is gone. But anyway, my time is going, hasn't gone yet. So not giving you any false promises. But anyway, um, years ago when uh, Wynne Lewis was pastoring the church, we're up in the room behind me, and we were looking at major issues of, of, which were to do with the direction of the church. And, and we'd seen how Kensington Temple had expanded so much and it was creaking at the edges because you can't do too much too soon. And we were thinking that maybe we ought to look at how we can consolidate what was happening rather than just try to keep on expanding. Anyway, I went downstairs for some reason and I heard a conversation when one of the women in the church was sharing with somebody else, I had this vision or dream. And she described a vine which had grown and branches spreading right out so big that it was quite hard for the stem and the roots to sustain it. And, and, and she said, I just, I just think that this needs strengthening. I heard that and I said, tell me more. And I went straight upstairs. You know what? We've been deliberating up here issues which are going to guide us in our direction as a church. And God has confirmed through this prophetic word. Thank God for that. Now, that's very different from somebody marching up to my office and demanding that they see me and telling me that this is what God is saying that I should do. And they're not even part of the church. They have no prophetic credentials. No, no, no. Test all things. But... Remember to act and pay attention to prophecy. And so let's go on. Jude goes on to show us what happens if we don't reject the false and if we don't hold on to the true words of God. He goes on to say, Verse 19, it is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So that's a, that's a warning. 
Not only is this a description of the kind of people that were operating in the church and what their real motivation was, they were not born again, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, but it is also a warning of what can happen if we follow false prophecy or if we neglect the true division, division. When we're not open to the Holy Spirit or don't know how to discern, we open the way for people to come in and sow discord and division. God hates it. God hates division. You can always tell when the enemy is operating because he sows seeds of division. There are six, seven things that God hates. Proverbs 6, verse 17. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that have shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Now, that is not a finger-pointing verse that we use for others. This is how we examine our own hearts as well. And so we should warn these people, if they don't listen, avoid them. Don't listen to them. Titus 3, 10 to 11. For as a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. That's, that's quite strong. Nothing divides the church quicker than those who are spreading false words from the Lord because it breeds the attitude in which they claim to have superior revelation, who set themselves up above the church, in, indeed above Scripture. And this opens the door to a second thing, wor worldliness. That's a good word. The, the uh, uh, New English Version, NEV, translates it. Worldly, it's the word we could describe as fleshly. Actually, the word is soulish, soulish. And let me tell you something about the human soul. In my understanding, the human soul is not identical to the human spirit. And when something is described as soulish, this, this uh, word is used several times in the New Testament. When it's described as something soulish, it's always in contrast to something which is spiritual. That which is spiritual here is the things that pertain to the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does, what's activated, produced, and promoted, and initiated by the Holy Spirit. But there is something else that can act and promote. And sometimes it can be mistaken for a spiritual manifestation, but it's not, it's a soulish manifestation. And so we need to discern between something which is soulish and something which is truly spiritual. Here it's translated as worldly, meaning people are not being motivated and operating out of the Holy Spirit, but out of their own desires and also from worldly thoughts and ideas. Now, we know that today, may I say, especially today, we need to be on our guard against worldly attitudes, ideas, 
thinking that is popular and current out there, even such things as we should call the new morality, the new social orthodoxy. And this is creeping into the church. If we're not careful, we need to know how it is to stand against all those outside influences telling us how to interpret our Bible, what we can say, what we cannot say. We, we, we got to say no Our minds are going to be saturated by the word of God and the standards of scripture and our lives are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit who will cause us to move with grace, empathy and love while holding on to truth. That's the name of the game for today. These people were controlled by their lower base nature, not shaped by the true message of the gospel. Then finally, he says, People devoid of the Spirit. Now, he's not just repeating himself. He's reminding us that there are religious people, and some of them even quote Scripture, who are not born again. Unregenerate religion, so dangerous. And it's dangerous because we can ourselves think that because they're quoting scripture, then what they're teaching is scriptural. Not at all. When you examine some of these things, we find that they're not really relying on scripture, not really interpreting scripture, but they're relying on another kind of revelation. Probably you already know that all the major cults that operate in our generation do so on the claim that they have received extra revelation outside of the Bible, and that becomes the dominant means by which they handle the Scriptures and their basis for interpreting the Scriptures. There are no second, third, fourth, and fifth editions of the Scripture with various changes that are made to it. No, the Scripture is full, final, and complete, and nobody is permitted to bring an extra revelation into Scripture, an extra claim, and to say, wow, well, you know, well, ah, you're quoting the Scripture. Let me give you an example. The kingdom of God is within you. Oh, really? Yes. So that means that everybody, everybody is part of the divine nature of our universe, and we don't need Jesus because it's within us. Everybody through our relationship here in our interconnectedness in the universe that surrounds us and the energy that is in every one of us. Did you hear that? Quick little New Age exposition there. But it's not biblical. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is in you, he was saying two things. He's saying the kingdom of God is among you because the king is here. It was all about Jesus. Another thing it means is that, yeah, when you surrender your life to Jesus and learn how to pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, the spirit of the kingdom lives within you, and in that sense, the kingdom of God is operating from within you. But it is not universal for everybody whether they believe in Jesus or not. So just because somebody is able to quote scripture doesn't mean to say that they're being scriptural. So we need to know what the tests are. So now, let me finish today by asking you some questions. When did somebody last give you a prophecy, a word from the Lord? 
How did you test it? Did you test it? How do you do that? Well, I've given you some of the principles, but it's important to share with people who have walked with Jesus for a while. Your cell leaders are trained in how to help you discern between true prophecy and false prophecy. And we freely say prophesy, but prophesy by the Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit, but we want to make sure that what we're receiving is genuine. So check it out. And then having checked it out, let me ask you this question. What did you do about it? In other words, did you really pay attention to a true word from the Lord? Another question, when did you last receive a prophecy, something that you thought was a word from the Lord for you or for somebody else? How did you test it before you passed it on? I wish there was much more testing before we pass words on, claiming to be from the Lord. God told me. God showed me. It's amazing how many revelations people have before breakfast, more than the Apostle Paul had in this whole lifetime. And some of these are amusing, if not tragic. Here's one, real-life example, kind of presented a little bit. So a um, long, long, long time ago, and I've kept it so vague to protect the guilty people. <laughs> so there was a young woman who came to one of the team members who happened to be, and this is to think about on Valentine's Day, happened to be a single man. And this young lady went up to him and said, God has shown me you must become my husband. But the problem is, I don't like you. Please pray for me that I can love you as my husband. Ah, nobody's laughing. It's tragic, isn't it? Well, how about this one? God showed me that I should be a part of this church Tuesday. Thursday, God showed me I should not be part of this church. Has God changed his mind in two days? So let's dial that down a little bit. If you feel that God is leading you, be open about it. I think God is leading me here. Always leave room for somebody to question that and to check it out. That's amazing. So, did you test it? How did you test it? And how did you deliver it? In other words, did you deliver it as if it was God speaking? Yay, hey, yo, ho, yay, yo, yay, yo, thus saith the Lord. Now, it, 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 it's my style very often, if I feel I'm delivering a prophetic word, to say, says the Lord. And when I use that, I don't mean that this is something that cannot, cannot be tested. In fact, it's an invitation to test it. Because if I say, I think this is what God is saying, you've you, you got to say, well, is, is that correct? And test it and check it out. So it's not so much the form of words as the attitude of the heart. But please, please check things out before you indiscriminately pass them on. And in this way, we're honoring prophecy. And, when, and one of the reasons why sometimes we don't give enough attention to prophecy is because there's so much spurious stuff out there. And we think, oh, well, they say that, but who knows? No, find out. 
And if that's what God is really saying, and, and you put it through all the tests, and you prayed it through, then there is something valuable. Now, let me share with you briefly. Uh, four years ago, as you know, I began to receive clear, in my understanding, clear revelation of the decade of the 2020s. Quite high-level stuff in terms of warning from, from the Holy Spirit, leading and guidance for the church. We began to explain how the 2020s were going to bring great challenges to God's people. And the challenge of COVID was not predicted by me, but part of, the, part of what we were seeing. But it's just the beginning. There are many, many more things we need to pray about for the decade of the 2020s. And here is where I'm open to the Lord to say, God, as well as alerting us to what is going on, which can cause us difficulty and challenge, what are you saying to us about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Because we need one. We need one so much that it's easy to prophesy it. So that was four years ago. And we spent three years up to 2020 and last year making sure that we were growing spiritually, that we were being strong spiritually to be ready for the challenges that lie ahead. And I'm so glad we took that word to heart. I'm so glad that we went from cell group to cell group, calling on people to ensure that their personal devotions, their spiritual life, their self-discipline, and also their spiritual self-care was in place and encouraging one another to grow spiritually. Then we looked at how we should be growing numerically and then also looked at what God was saying to us about how to grow in our influence in wider society. Now, frankly, I don't think the church responded as fully as the church might have done to that, but I am grateful for those who did. And as a result of that, we are learning not just how to discern the true from the false, but also how we can pay attention to the prophetic word to us as individuals and as a church in these days. Amen, amen. and amen. amen. 